We welcome those who are joining us by our internet services. I have learned that we have more and more on a weekly basis, so that's good. And some of you all have told me that when you weren't able to be here, you have uh, listened or watched us on the internet, and so that's a, that's a good thing. At the close of the service, I generally offer an opportunity for folks to come forward to make a commitment of your life to Christ as you visit with one of our men or women counselors up here at the front, or perhaps you sense a, a need to kneel and pray at this special place up here. You know, Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. And he's talking about a lifestyle that you live of in favor of Jesus Christ before men. But a good way to start that is to make a commitment. And don't you think in, in a worship service like this where you nail it down, you make a milestone and say, this is a point at which I gave my life to Christ. If you sense such a tug, please don't be reluctant at the end of the service. When we come to the time of commitment, just step out and establish a milestone for Christ. It's a good thing to do. Well, problems or possibilities, what are you faced with? What do you do when faced with circumstances of life about which you need to make a decision? Is it something that's going to eat your lunch or are you going to be able to take care of it in a way that brings glory to God and helps you to be successful in what you do with it? One significant difference in people is not the circumstances they face, but how they see those circumstances. Some people see life's challenges as opportunities while others are whipped by them. When I was a seminary student back in the, uh, in the early 70s, I signed up for a music class, a church music class that met at 8 o'clock on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Well, I was doing radio news for Texas State Network, and my, my uh, news gig went from 3 till 11 o'clock at night. And so, you know, it was a, a challenge for me to get there right on time every morning for that 8 o'clock class. But I, I did it. I would get there at 11.59.45, and, and, uh, I mean at 7.59.45 and, in, in, and get into the class. Well, the first day of class, Dr. Roper, who was the teacher, the instructor in that class, said, uh, laid out some groundwork for the, for the uh, entire semester, and he said, I want you all to know some things. And he said, I've got a couple of pet peeves, and you won't pass my class if you do these things. And he said, one of them is, you need to know that I don't believe that there is a place for gospel music in today's Southern Baptist Church. Well, gospel music was my thing. I mean, I sang gospel music everywhere. Those were the days when He Touched Me had just come out and Fill My Cup, Lord, and some of those great, you know, Gaither-type songs. And he was saying that we weren't supposed to talk about that in his class. Well, bless his heart. <laughs> and so... 
And the other thing was, he said, don't sit on the back row all the time. He said, if I see you always sitting on the back row, I'm going to assume you're not really committed to this class and you can't pass. Well, I got there at 7.59.45 and all the front seats were always taken. And so I sat on the back row. My friend Steve Faulkner was as bad as I was. And Steve and I usually occupied the next to the back or the back row. And, and that was just kind of the way it was. And I, I'm sorry, Dr. Roper. That's, I didn't say that, but that's just the way it was. Well, one day, Steve was very talented. Steve could do many things. He could sing and so on. And we were good friends. But another thing that Steve could do was shoot a little spray of spit between his teeth and hit something several feet away. Now, this is Baptist Seminary, folks. And, and one day we were sitting in class, and I was one row f- from the back, and Steve was in the back row. And uh, so during the class, Steve got to hitting me in the neck. And so I, I would, you know, he was my friend. I, I wanted to turn around and cold cock him, but, but we were friends. And besides that, he was a good bit bigger than I was. And so I just kind of look around at him and laugh. And say, yeah, that's funny, Steve, and wipe it off. And uh, got to the end of the class, and Dr. Roper had something to say. And he said, I got a couple of people that are fighting me and that are making fun of me in this class. And nobody knew who he was talking about because Steve and I weren't making fun of him. He was just spitting on me. (laughs) And so he said, uh, uh, and so he said, I want you to know you can't pass this class if if you make fun of me and if you fight me. So later in the day, I was walking down the hallway and Dr. Roper was standing outside his office door. And I said, Dr. Roper, you've really got the whole class abuzz about this thing that, that you said about people can't pass your class. And he said, he said, you said a couple of people and we're all wondering who you're talking about. And he said, well, you're one of them. And I said, well, my goodness. So I had two options. I, it could be a problem or a possibility. The problem could be I could get angry at Dr. Roper and say, you don't know what you're talking about, you paranoid guy. We weren't making fun of you. We were just horsing around a little bit. Besides, gospel music should be just fine in Baptist churches, but I didn't say that. And, but I didn't, I chose not to do that. I decided to look at this as a possibility. And so I said, Dr. Roper, number one, we weren't making fun of you, but that, that's neither here nor there. From now on, you could call me Front Row Joe, and I'm going to be on the front row. I decided I could give up 10 minutes of sleep and make sure that I was there early every day. And so from then on, for the rest of the semester, I would get up earlier in the morning and get there, and I sat on the front row right in front of Dr. Roper. Steve sat right here next to me because he did the same thing, and we were paying close attention to Dr. Roper, and we did well. And I ended up the semester with an A, and Steve got a B, 
because Steve wrote his term paper on the place of gospel music in the Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> Problems or possibilities? What do you do? Well, our text is found in Numbers chapter 13, verses 17 to 20. I'll read you the first part, and then we'll have the text put on for the last couple of verses up on the screen. This is Numbers chapter 13, verses 17 to 20 to start with. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, you're familiar with this, when the, the, the 12 spies went into Canaan. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak. Few or many, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Then we skip down. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Now, the spy's purpose was not to determine whether the land could be taken then, that had already been determined by God. God was going to give them this land. He had said he was going to. It was going to be their land flowing with milk and honey. It was not to de determine whether they could take it, but how best to take it. That was their job. Similarly, our command for you and me, our command is not, to, is not whether to live Christ-centered lives, the Great Commission-type lives. Our command is not whether to live lives that reach out and touch people for Christ, but it is how to do it. Do we see problems or possibilities in living our lives for Jesus Christ, our Lord? Do you see it that way? Now, the spies all saw a wonderful land, but they also saw the inhabitants of the land as giants. Now, they all saw the giants, and there were big problems. It was not a problem for Joshua and Caleb, though, because their God was bigger than the problem, which brings us to the point is our God bigger than the problems we face? Is our God bigger than the spiritual problems that we have to deal with? The other ten, however, were terrified. Folks, how big is your God today? Is our God big? Or is he not able to handle the issues that come before us? Oh, it's easy for us to say, and everybody in this room right now, and everybody that's, that's watching on the internet would say, oh, yes, our God is big, lip service. 
But do we live our lives that way? Are we just saying it? Or is it the real deal? The ten said, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we seem the same to them. In our own eyes, they were already defeated because in their own eyes, they seemed like grasshoppers up to the, up to the side of the giants. But to Joshua and Caleb, they represented only an opportunity. They said, the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. No need to worry. We've got the big guy on our side. The Lord is with us. We'll be just fine. Now, because of the negative report of the ten, Moses had to tell the folks, God isn't going to use anybody that is over 20 years old to go into the promised land besides Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were the two that said, we can do this. But everybody else in the whole tribe that was over, to all the children of Israel who was over 20 years old, we had to hang around and wander around in the desert for 40 years till they all died out. And then they were able to go in and take the, take the land because God said, not going to do that, not going to let you do it because you gave a negative report. Might God have to use someone else to do the work that you and I should be doing because all we see are the giant problems rather than the possibilities that God gives us? Are we going to have to just die and then somebody else come along and take our place to get the job done that God really intends for you and me to do? Oh, I hope not. Let's look at the problem, let's look at the problems as possibilities. Sometimes we see only life's problems. Only life's problems. We live in a very problem conscious age. We have all kinds of problems, don't we? We see problems all around us. Everywhere we look, we've got problems. We've got church problems. I have been in a lot of churches. I've served in a lot of churches in one capacity or another. And every church I've been to has problems. They've all got them. Everywhere we go, every church has problems. There are social problems. Some say our society is sick. Well, maybe it is. There are a lot of social problems that we could deal with. Family problems. I recently had a, well, not recently, it was a while back, had a phone call from a young lady. And she said, uh, Brother Long, uh, I don't know if you'll remember me or not, but uh, I need to talk to you. And I said, well, what can I help you with? And she started telling me about a problem in her family life. Well, I remembered when she, started, when she visited with me for a little bit about, what, about who she was. She and her husband and all their little kids went to a church that I had helped with some services some time back. And they were all leaders within the church. They were very active and, and involved. And the more she talked, she talked about, uh, about uh, 
harassment by her husband and unfaithfulness and horrible stuff that he was doing to her, physical abuse and stuff. I mean, you would never know, you would never guess by what was going on at the church that there was anything like that possible. But I, but I said, wait a minute, why, I, why are you telling me this? Uh, what is it? I mean, I could pray for you, but why aren't you telling your pastor? She said, well, I've, I've talked to my pastor. He said, I should call you. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. Do, are you, do you think I'm Steve Long? Steve Long is an attorney. And, and we're not related to each other, but Steve is a, is a Christian attorney here in Albuquerque. He's a good friend of mine. And she said, oh, I thought I was talking to the attorney. And, but, you know, I learned some interesting stuff there. <laughs> but, but the point being, bless her heart, the, the, the quote that, we said, that, that, that I mentioned some time back, that everybody is fighting battles that everybody else doesn't know about. We're all going through stuff. So be kind and pray for people and lift them up and help them to deal with the problems in a positive and uplifting way because you never know what other people are going through. Pray for people and pray for each other. Family problems are all over the place. International problems. Tim Hale was talking a while ago about some of the international problems that we're dealing with right now. Just ending our relationship with Russia on, a, on that uh, uh, intercontinental missile thing. Our North Korea, uh, Afghanistan, and all the other stuff. International problems. What do we do about those? Individual problems. I hate my job. Finances are driving me crazy. Nobody likes me. Individual problems. We have problems all over the place. We cannot just ignore these problems, but neither do we need to overemphasize them as if God does not exist. God is alive. God is real. God can be a part of dealing with these problems. They are not insurmountable. Insurmountable demands of the Christian life is the viewpoint that Satan wants us to have, that our problems are just insurmountable. And if we have that viewpoint, if we see that, that the godly lifestyle is just too hard, if we see them that way, then seeing our problems as insurmountable causes us to do the wrong thing a lot of times. And we turn from what is right and best to what is not as good and many times what is convenient to deal with them. And perhaps we end up doing what is wrong because we see the problem as insurmountable. Or a lot of times we just do nothing. Sort of like the, the uh, ten spies that just said, well, I'm just not going to do anything because I, it just feels too hard. So I just, I just won't, won't do anything. Or like the, the guy in uh, Matthew 25, Jesus' parable about the guy with the one talent that just took it out and buried it in the ground because he just didn't want to do anything. His problem was too insurmountable. No, that's not what the Lord wants us to do. 
Yeah, that's, what, that's what we do sometimes when we see only life's problems. It is far better for us to see life's possibilities. Not the problems, but the possibilities. Far better. Unlike the other ten, Joshua and Caleb saw the possibilities because they were not obsessed with the problems. Rather, their approach had three primary elements. Their approach of seeing life's possibilities rather than life's problems had three primary elements. Let's look at that. First of all, they had a sense of mission. They saw that there was a mission for them to be about. Joshua and Caleb knew they were sent to find a way to take the land, not to report the difficulties. With no sense of mission and focused just on the problems, we cannot see the possibilities, the life God has given us, the great commission that he has given us to do. We can't see the possibilities because we're so focused on the problems. But when we have a sense of mission, this church has been working on their mission and vision and so on recently. My, you've come up with some good words there. A sense of vision, a sense of mission, with a sense of mission which includes the great commission that I keep talking about. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you, even to the end of the earth. He's going to be right there with them, all the way, right there with us through the whole thing. A sense of mission. Second, a vision of strength. Acts 1.8 is that great verse that gives us courage when Jesus said, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses here and there and all over the place. That's a Joe Long paraphrase. You're going to be my witnesses all over the place because you're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll have the vision, the strength. You'll have a mission to be about, and you got me with you. If we think we're going to fail, we almost certainly will. Self-concept is important. Remember those guys thought they looked like grasshoppers? If you see yourself that way, you already failed. Here's the difference. A poor self-image, if you have the poor self-image, the other ten saw themselves as grasshoppers. Perhaps you say, I'm the only Christian where I work. I can't do anything. Do you feel like you're all alone in the workplace? Well, if you're not allowed to talk about your faith, and those of you that work in government places, you're kind of not, are you? But you can live a godly lifestyle you can live a lifestyle, that, or one thing that I always did, and I, nobody ever told me that I couldn't, is put a Bible on my desk. And sometimes that causes people to ask me questions about, about that Bible on my desk. See, there are things that you can do. You can, you can do something. But I, you, you say, I can't do anything. Sure you can. Just be faithful to the Lord in what you do do. Or you may say, well, I have this physical flaw. Nobody ever going to pay any attention to me because I've got 
things, I've got something going on with me that, that I'm just kind of an outcast. Well, do you remember Zacchaeus? Remember that wee little man, Zacchaeus? He had strikes against him. Number one, he was a wee little man. He had to climb up a tree so he could see Jesus. Number two, he was a tax collector. <laughs> this is a good time of year to be talking about that, isn't it? He was a tax collector. People hated tax collector. That was two strikes. Probably had bad breath. There's three strikes. Man, he was almost out. But, but Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Jesus himself, God, in the form of a man, went to that three-strike guy to his house. Boy, howdy. A problem that wasn't really a problem at all. Zacchaeus. Good example for us if we think that we have problems. And here's the good self-image. There's the poor self-image. There's the good self-image. Joshua and Caleb knew with God's help, they could certainly overcome all the obstacles, including the giants. The problems were mere possibilities for God to demonstrate his greatness. All problems are a way that God can show us that he really knows how to take care of business. Just give them all to him. In a small town, a young lady taught piano lessons to make a living. Her house was somewhat bedraggled. The yard was unkempt and the screen door squeaked when she opened it. She had a small sign on the fence that was kind of leaning. And the sign said, piano lessons given $1 per hour. One day, the renowned pianist Paderewski this is an old illustration, you can tell. Paderewski was walking by, and he heard her in there playing on the piano. And he went up, and he knocked on the door, and he said, I just heard the play. Of course, she went nuts. Wow, Paderewski. And she, he said, I just heard you playing on the piano. He said, let me offer you a tip or two. And so he went in, and he showed her a couple of things, and then he left. And so... Uh, uh, soon the house was changed. It sported a fresh coat of paint. The weeds were replaced with shrubs, grass, and flowers. The screen door got oiled, and the sign on the fence now read in neat letters, Piano Lessons Given by Mrs. Barlow, who was taught by Paderewski. Five dollars an hour. See, the contact with the master made the difference. Huh? The contact with the master made the difference. So, a sense of mission, a vision of strength, and then third is dependence on God. Dependence on God. The real secret of Joshua and Caleb's view of things was their dependence on God. They knew their strength was inadequate, but his strength was mighty and awesome. Here's what they said, in verse, starting in verse 8 of that same passage. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. In other words, nothing is outside God's possibilities. God can do anything. So how will you face up to God's possibilities? 
What would you do? What would you do as an individual? What would you do as a family, as the head of a family, as a member of a family, as an organization? What would you do to bring about God's possibilities? How would you face life's possibilities? Would you see them as problems or would you see them as possibilities? Let me suggest five, very quickly, five very practical steps and an illustration in closing. When faced with a situation, first, evaluate your resources. See what you've got, what's available to you. From a spiritual standpoint, you know that you have the Word of God, you have the Bible, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, do that today. Pray to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Invite Him into your life. Accept Christ's death as payment for your sins and make him the Lord of your life. Do that right now. And then you'll have a resource of the Holy Spirit living in you. That's, a, that's one of the resources available to you. The Bible, the Holy Spirit, godly counsel by other people who have proven themselves to be godly people. But also, you have talents of your own. You have gifts that God has given you, and so on. So you, you evaluate your resources. Second, you take action. You get with it. You prayerfully move out. All right, God, I have a sense that, you're gonna, that this is the next step I'm supposed to take. So you do that. You can't steer a ship that's sitting still in the water. The ship has got to be moving. We've got some Navy folks in here. I mean, you don't have to be in the Navy to understand this concept, but they sure do. The ship has to be moving before you can steer it. So get moving. Get doing something for God. And then ask Him to give you a sense of direction. Third, don't be afraid to boldly attempt something bigger than you are if you sense God's in it. You're moving. God's in it. It may be bigger than you think you are but boldly attempt it for God. Davy Crockett, when he was uh, running for Congress, came up with the slogan. He said, be sure you're right, then go ahead. And his campaign buttons just said, go ahead. Be sure you're right, then go ahead. All right, fourth, commit all you have. Just put it all on the line for the Lord. Commit all you have. And fifth, leave the rest to the Father. Oh, God's a part of it. Just let him be in charge. Oh, God, I've done all I know to do. I've taken the steps. I've committed all I have to you, all my resources. I've given it all. I've, I'm moving in the direction I have a sense. Now, you're in charge. Help me to know what to do next. You've run circumstances according to your will and your purpose. Help me to be faithful to you, and I'm just going to watch to see what you do next. All right? As a result of the 1871 Chicago fire, hundreds of people lost their lives, and four square miles of homes were destroyed. Many children were left orphans. And the story is told of one 10-year-old boy who wandered the streets for a couple of days after his parents were burned to death and his home was destroyed. And he remembered some family acquaintances that he had known. And he eventually walked up to the, 
side, walked up the sidewalk to a rather stately colonial mansion, and he knocked on a huge double door, and an older white-haired man answered and invited the grimy little fella into his house. And the little boy described his experience, and looking into the old man's eyes, he said, would you be my father? And then he reached in his pocket and he pulled out 13 cents. And he said, I'll give you, this is all I have, but I'll give it to you if, if you'll be my father. And so he laid the 13 cents on the coffee table. Let's go back and look at this story again. He remembered some family acquaintances he evaluated his resources, okay? He remembered what he had. And he knocked on the door. He walked down the street and he knocked on the door. He took action. That's item number two. And the older man came and he said, Would you be my father? So he boldly attempted something that was bigger than he was. He actually asked that old man if he would be his father attempting something that was bigger than he was. And then he laid his 13 cents on the coffee table. He committed all he had to this. And then the man said, yes, I'll be your father. But not for money, but for love. I'll be your father for love. And so that was the last of the five steps. Left the rest to the Father. Now that's an earthly illustration of a godly truth. That when we put God in charge, we can leave it up to Him. And God knows what's best. And we must commit all we have to the Father. Our hopes and our dreams. And leave the rest up to Him. Give them all Give them all, give them all to Jesus. Shattered dreams, wounded hearts, broken toys. Give them all, give them all, give them all to Jesus. And he will turn your sorrow into joy. Give them all. God's love makes us acceptable to him just the way we are. Remember the old hymn, Just As I Am, without one plea, but that God, that, but that thy love, thy blood was shed for me. Remember that? Just the way we are. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Have you given it all to Jesus Christ? You can know that life's problems can be God's solutions. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He wants us to have a wonderful life on this earth, but he also wants us to have an eternity with him in God's heaven. But to have that, to have either one, you must first have a relationship with him. And you do that by giving it all, giving it all giving it all to Jesus. Have you prayed to receive Christ? Do you know him? You must recognize that you've sinned. The Bible says we all have. 
must recognize that the penalty for sin is death. Eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. And hell is not the place you want to spend eternity. It's just awful. But you can spend eternity with God, with Jesus Christ, the ones who love you, by giving it all to Jesus. Jesus died so you wouldn't have to. You can accept his death. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, shall not go to hell, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Pray right now. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned, and I know my sin must be paid for by death. Right now, I accept your death as payment for my sin and ask you to come into my life and to be my master. I give myself to you. Dear Jesus, I pray right now if there are those in this room who have never prayed to receive you, that they will do that at this very moment. Or if there are Christians that need to recommit their lives to you, that they will do that. Father, that this time now of commitment will be a real time of nailing down a relationship with you that is meaningful. Our counselors are going to come stand at the front. Would you all please stand? Our counselors will be here at the front, and if you need to make a commitment to Christ during this time, please come forward and talk to one of these counselors that can talk to you about the next step to take. Christians, be praying. As we take this time now to commit ourselves to Christ, once again, or for the first time. Maybe you just need to come to the front, kneel down and pray that Christ will work in you in a special way or you have a burden that you want to bring to Calvary. Dear Jesus, as we now bring this service to a close, I pray that this invitation to come to you will not end as the service ends, but that each one of us will leave here thinking about what we need to do in our relationship with you to make it all it can be, and that we will be faithful and available to you to be used this week and to be used as we go from this place in our families, in the workplace or wherever we may be. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we will talk about how to be a friend indeed. And don't forget, the five Sundays of March, we'll be talking about this, I believe, the beliefs 
of our denomination. Thank you. God bless you.